You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to another episode of Half Hour with Jeff and Richie, the podcast where we dig deep into the heart of Broadway. This week, we're discussing the Broadway transfer of this sensational musical, Here Lies Love. We know it was a hit off Broadway, but how well did it do when it moved to the big stage? Let's find out. I'm Jeff, a music industry producer and manager. And I'm Richie, a theater director and producer. Let's dive into Here Lies Love on Broadway. Half hour! So, Richie, for those who might not be familiar with Here Lies Love, can you give us a brief rundown of the show and what it's about? Yeah, for sure. So, for those of you who don't know, we did some wonderful research history on this. Um, Mm -hmm. Here Lies Love is a Broadway musical that's actually based on David Byrne and Fatboy Slim's concept music album they put together of the research on the life of former Philippine First Lady Imelda Marcos. Mm -hmm. So it kind of focuses on that. It did have some history when it went 2013 off-Broadway at the Public Theater. Alex Timbers was directing it at the time. It got extended. Ruthie Ann Miles was playing the leading role. We all know her. Tony Winner, fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it did go to London in 2014. It did play there. It got some Olivier nominations, was successful. It was supposed to open in Australia and did not. So it was close to, but then didn't. Do we know a reason why? I don't know if it was uh, – I don't know exactly why. I just said okay. that they were they had stopped the production. Yeah. And then in 2017, it actually went to Seattle Rep because the purpose of it was for them to try to put it into a proscenium style and see if they could adapt a proscenium style house. And then, of course, we know the pandemic came. And so after that, now we here we are 2023 on Broadway. So about 10 years later from the off-Broadway to now. Which I is feel like this was always like hear. a show. Yeah, I feel like this was always a show that was talked about for a very long time. And how well would it transfer to the big stage or not? Yeah. So Here Lies Love, as I mentioned earlier, the concept and the music and the lyrics are by David Byrne. Music by Fatboy Slim. There's additional music by Tom Gandney and Jose Luis Pardo. Um, there is choreography by Annie B. Parson. And it's developed and directed by Alex Timbers. Uh, and it's playing at the Broadway Theater. And for those of you who don't know, the Broadway Theater is a traditional proscenium house, mm-hmm. uh, like most Broadway theaters. But it has been completely gut renovated on the inside to adapt into the space of a nightlife club. So if you want to sit down, you can sit up in the mezzanine still. The mezzanine is still traditional mezzanine. And there's also side seating. But the seating and the dance floor project all the way into the orchestra pit from, from, from the orchestra seating all the way onto the stage. So when you're on the dance floor, you're, you're in the orchestra seating area, you're in the pit area, you're on mm-hmm. stage, you're in that whole area in a level playing field on the dance floor. That's where we were. So for those of you who have seen this or are thinking of seeing, we're giving you the perspective from the dance floor, which is where we were when we saw Hero Lies <laughs> Love, which definitely I think impacts our, our thoughts on the show, where you sit or stand. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad actually... we got to stand. Super curious to hear other people's thoughts on where they were in this show after being on the floor, just so immersed in the full experience. It was just amazing. So so let's talk a little bit about some plot here and some thoughts on the plot and the production as a whole. This is amazing to tell this story. How many of us don't really know this story? And Mm -hmm. there's like some sympathy and then there's some hatred and there's like a little bit of all emotions going on here. I don't want to really compare it to Ava Perone and Evita, but right. that was a similar husband and wife, powerful couple of a time when a country was 
going through a revolution of sorts and there is power and there's love and there's drama. So it's a similar story in that aspect, but I really feel like this is such a unique story to tell about a woman who I believe is still living, actually. And to tell the story in the way, I mean, I think at one point I said to you, it could totally be told in a proscenium. We could sit in a chair and watch this, and it would still have been wonderful. But mm-hmm. how much different did we embrace this story by seeing it happening all around us in an immersive situation was very cool. I don't think I would have wanted to be in one of the seats. I, I think watching the story unfold in front of us, you really felt like you were just part of what was happening. It was like a a timeline run through of the, you know, really the life of Amelda, but just seeing it from her lens. And I really felt like watching it, it was everything that she experienced during this political time from, you know, when she was poor and not, you know, <coughs> visible to many people to becoming part of this powerful political couple of the Philippines. And we really saw her progress as a character. Ariel Jacobs plays her now on Broadway, who is one remarkable. And we really saw her transform, but even through age. She right. came out in the beginning youthful, and she ended very mature and powerful. Similar to Ava Perone, it's very similar. You see the mm-hmm. journey of Evita. She starts young and she ends old. Actually, right. she ends quite older. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a hard, it's hard for an actor or an actress to do that, you know. I wonder if you think that um, someone saw this show, saw Avita, and then saw this show, and they were like, "Oh, we could do this with another uh, political powerhouse." Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I do think that this is David Burns' baby. Uh, he's put yeah. so in the lobby downstairs. We saw a lot of artwork, a lot of stories that he had put a kind of a display together of his research on this. He clearly researched this, and guess what? He could have probably done this so many ways. He could have pitched this to a movie company. He could have. You know, to make it a Broadway musical, it worked. And, you know, thinking back on it now, there wasn't a ton of dialogue, but you didn't really need the dialogue. It was only because Vita's kind of almost, a lot of Angela Lloyd Webber's almost sung through. There's not really a ton of dialogue, some of those shows, but it, it worked not having like long book scenes. I thought it worked great. I think when I think back to the, some of these scenes too, I what would you say 98% of this show is sung through? Yeah, oh yeah, there's almost no speaking until unless the DJ who's the narrator is talking to us. But those still were moments, over music. Right. It was still over music, so right. it, you know, it was great. But I think from a book perspective, your opinion I value and I would love to know how well do you think this book worked in telling this story? It worked really well because I think the plot and the book and the writing of this really worked well with the immersion aspect. I remember a scene ending and I remember thinking to myself, where do we go now? And all I had to do was look up. And when I say look up, I mean look up anywhere in that space. And it told me the time mm-hmm. or uh, the, the year rather, or it told me the location or it told right. me the time and location, or told me, or an audio recording was playing with the year. I said, oh, wow, we just jumped ahead. Or, oh, wow, this is happening. We're back here now. That was smart. And it was very clear that everybody on this design team was working really well together to create that aspect of it. Because for those of you who may or may not know, when you're on the dance floor, you're moving clockwork, almost like a blender, uh, with people guiding you in the clock formation. And so as we're walking, I'm like, oh, 
I'm actually literally physically moving my body and time is passing. It's really, really smart. It's so kind smart. Of, it's kind of like the um, – for those Disney fans out there who might be listening, when you're waiting on the line of a ride and you feel like you're constantly moving so it doesn't feel like you're waiting as long, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a psychology to keep you moving so that you don't feel like you're waiting in line for an hour. But you could have been moving for an hour. And for Here Lies Love, same thing. You're moving for 90 minutes, but it doesn't feel like you are because you're moving with the actors and actresses through time. It was really, really smart. And I love in this book that they took one character and they really stuck with moving through her life. These other characters are all supporting in some sort of a way to her trajectory in this whole outcome. So it wasn't like we're following along and, you know, we're seeing this person and this person and this person and what is happening. Like when you think about like a show like New York, New York, and we had to follow multiple people and we didn't know whose story we were supposed to follow. And Mm -hmm. it confused the audience. This one, we know we're supposed to follow Imelda's story, right? So it just made so much sense. And writing it from that perspective really worked because you still get the other characters in there (laughs) as like storytelling. They're part of her life. It just made sense. Totally. And, and it just, it just all connected together. I know that's kind of brings us into our next topic here, immersive experience and the creative design of this. I'm going to tell you something right now. If I was one of the Schubert Theater Organization members or leaders and someone came to me and said, we want to rent your theater and we want to rip out hundreds of seats, I I would have been like, what? You know, that's (laughs) – I mean, where are – those seats must be sitting somewhere in a storage warehouse because they – they got to be put back when the show's gone, right? Or after the show, they're going to renovate the theater. Who knows? Yeah, who knows, right? Who knows? Um, but I will but- say, from this immersion and this scenic design, how transformative to see something like this in the Broadway space. And I know, I know that this is not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but it was so unique. It's such a unique thing to bring to the Broadway space in that light, because some people come to the city and they see one show. And could you imagine, like, this is the one show you see? Well, what's interesting is I found that there were different chapters to entrance of this yeah. show. So in the beginning, you're on the street, right? Then you go into the ticket taker lobby. And okay, then you go into the lobby. and It's all pink. And they have speakers set up in their club. So I'm like, oh, I feel like I just walked into, like, the bar coat check ticket taker restroom area of a club, which is what that is, a lobby of a theater, right? And then Mm -hmm. when you go into the doors, you're immersed like this is the club and you don't just walk right into the club. You walk down a dark path and if you look carefully, I remember seeing, oh my gosh, there's the proscenium. There's the backstage. Like, wait, we're really actually in the orchestra seating area here. And then there's these like rippled um, kind of like a garage uh, uh, construction <laughs> plastic that you kind of walk through. And, yeah. you, um, and then like, you go in and it's like this soft, like, mm, mm, mm. and then you walk in, it's like, ah, and you're like, wow, I feel like I just walked onto a, the floor of like MetLife or something. And like, you're in the middle of this like huge, you know, um, it's such a vibe that they set for you immediately on the floor. I mean, obviously they're definitely catering more to the people that are morally immersed into this dance floor setting. It's like, they're giving you studio 54, you know, yeah. Something that Imelda was so infatuated by, too, by coming to America. And, like, it's so interesting to watch, like, oh, people from the Philippines that are like, oh, 
I want to be in America. I want to be doing these things. I love the idea of the Kennedys and the Reagans and fashion and music and going to a club like Studio 54 where you could be dancing next to a president and you could be dancing next to, you know, Michael Jackson. And it just was so cool and unique to see that happening. And what better to do it in this immersive experience? Setting us, setting the tone. You know, it's almost like, why didn't they do this at Studio 54? Yeah, right, exactly. Because it actually could have probably worked really well there. It's already kind of like a, the, I think a lot of the seats were taken out for when they do cabaret there because they put a lot of the cabaret tables down there. But Right, and that's but, somewhere that she actually went to right, and like right. partied at. So, wow, that would have been yeah. kind of amazing. But to see this happen in a different theater was also super cool. And let me ask you a question. You have this plot, which is like this political drama about mm-hmm. real politics in a country. And then you take this very juxtaposed, like, clubby, fun, partying environment. Does – where do you think – I'm just curious to know your opinion of this. Where do you think someone like David Byrne, who has this pop music in history, he's a very famous musician. Mm-hmm. Where does he get the idea of saying, I want to make it a musical, but I want to make it a club immersion? And the plot is not like kids going to a club or like the prom. It's like – this political family. So do you think this like political real story of a family in a club, those two very different ideas, do they work? Yes. Yeah, it totally I think, does. I think it's to kind of show you, like, I think sometimes we have this idea of po- people in political power, that that's all they do. But like what happens at night or what happens when they're on vacation or what happens when they're doing everything dirty with, you know, the taxpayer dollars of the country, you know, and I think it's just to kind of mask it a little bit and show like, look at what these people were doing. You're in one of the poorest countries at the time and you're just draining the country of their money. And, like, to be in this glamorous kind of style thing, it just works in that way. I think that if, if, if I was to get inside David Byrne's head a little bit, that's the whole point of this. Is, like, he's showing, this is what she was doing. Right. We're going to put her in a setting that just doesn't make sense because she didn't care about the people enough. And that was so interesting, too, is that with the design of this, you also have the projections. And I love the, the, the newest thing that I'm just loving and parade does this too. use actual video and or photo of these real people. We mm-hmm. heard a real audio tape of like a not great moment in their relationship. Wasn't it when he was having the affair? Oh yeah. Yeah. And we heard the real audio of that blasted oh. on the speakers and you're like, Oh, you're really hearing the tapes. You're seeing the projections. You're seeing the photos. When Conrad's character is assassinated, you're seeing like footage of, it's just like, of course you should be mixing the real with the storytelling. Of course. I love oh, yeah, that. Because it, that really just makes you feel so much more like to hear him talking with the prostitute that he's, you know, got pregnant, Marcos. It's just, wow. And then for her, watching what she's doing on the stage, hearing this tape and being like, ugh. But also kind of standing by him? Well, I always wonder, and this is a lot about um, Ariel's portrayal of Imelda, but just Imelda in general. There's so many times when you're like, oh, I like her. Oh, I don't like her. Oh, I feel I bad know. for her. Oh, I don't feel bad for her. There's like such juxtaposition with that. The men, sure. The maid character, like, of course, like you kind of get the footing with the most of them, like how everyone kind of is. 
with her, I was just and and you do feel a little bit of that with Ava Peron. I, I'm so sorry, I keep comparing it to Ava. Peron. I'm just comparing it to what I know, like musical theater, political is done. But this was different because I really felt like there was a like, wow, I don't really know how to feel about this because Amelda is portrayed in so many different lights. You know, I agree. Yeah. I think I think kind of looking at this, you're we both left it and we said, are we supposed to like her? Yeah, I and don't then know. Like, or are we supposed to not because the people didn't and she had to flee the country to come to America. And when she, when she came, we weren't really around when she came to America to Hawaii. And I think it was President Ronald Reagan, like, told them it's safe to come here. Like, what were Americans thinking at that time? Like, maybe right. maybe America was divided, too. Maybe there were people. And I actually would love to talk to poor people about living in that time and say, were you upset that they came here or were you, like, happy that they had a safe place? I don't know. Like, I see, I don't know enough politics to really know. I don't know. I think you know? I said to you, like. I don't think people knew, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Don't I mean, you sure feel like it's something knew. that they probably didn't really care about? I don't know. But also, like, it, weren't we just reading that she ran recently for another position? She, she in... was running, oh, yeah, it, for gov- for smaller roles all the way up to, I think the last year was 2016. I think she was yeah. still running for power. This is a woman who ha- is clearly very attracted to power. And wants that power, no matter if it's a small government position or the president or anything. She has run multiple times since the, this play ends in the 80s. And she's had a lot going on since then. And she's well, 93, she, I think. She has like such that. an interesting storyline, though. And it's so great to see because that does make you have that moment of, are we supposed to like her? Are we not supposed to like her? Was this a moment of... She didn't know what to do or what 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 was she doing? You know, was she just following along and staying loyal to her husband? And like for someone who came from being poor and turning into this powerhouse, like sometimes the fame gets to you. Yeah. But I think, you know, a moment in here, and I think this is going to lead very nice into like the cast and standout performances. Like we we hear from her inner voice multiple times in the show. And in those moments, you hear these beautiful words coming out, this voice of reason in the head, and it's coming from her. And I think that's why when we're watching this show, we don't know if we're supposed to like her or not, because her inner voice, we do like. And speaking of inner voice, what a voice. Because what I a mean, voice. I mean, we're, we're, of course, Ariel Jacobs was phenomenal, but we're talking about the other character who kind yeah. of plays her inner voice at times, who is? She plays the interviewer. She's Imelda's inner voice. She's Maria Luisa. Jasmine Forsberg. Oh, what an amazing belt. You and I both left, and actually multiple times, like if we weren't already standing, I think she would have got a standing O from everyone on that dance floor, because she is belting her face off. Yep, totally. And so clean and beautiful. But like, this cast alone is just... From Ariel Jacobs, wow, blown away. I mean, she's come a long way from her Disney princess. She was Gabrielle in High School Musical tour. Like, she's done that, and now this, wow, good for but you. blown away. She is carrying this whole show, and she takes you on such a journey mm-hmm. from being this innocent little thing to when she's doing that moment on stage with her caretaker or um, the maid mother's or the, friend yeah, or maid. Yeah. I don't know what we are calling her, uh, Ast- which was Estrella Compass. Yep, yep. And she's giving this, like, Corella DeVille, like, you're my puppet now. Right. I was right. like, where did this come from? Yeah, it was amazing. 
It was amazing yeah. to see the transformation, as well as Jose and Conrad both playing such different characters, both such strong right. performances from them. I will with, also which the fun fact about them, they were in the off Broadway version of yeah, this. they've been with it since day one, which is like so incredible. That's I, something I would love, love, love to talk to either one of them about. Is yeah. like what is this journey of this being off Broadway in a smaller space to now you're playing this big Broadway house with the same show. And do they like it? Yeah. Uh, and we have to talk about Leah Salonga a little bit here. We Come love on. Leah. I mean, what a star and what a star. I mean, but, but the, the track is written like how wonderful that this character doesn't come in till the end. And then she just, it's almost like, Oh my gosh, the mother's here and it's the funeral. Like, ah, oh. and then, I know everything I need to know from one song. One like, song. Like, I didn't need a million scenes with the mother and him. I didn't need any of that. I see there's Leah Songo. She gets a huge round of applause. And I remember just staring. She makes that slow movement. Yeah. I just am staring at her. I'm like, you're amazing, but your song is heart-wrenching. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then she, like, leaves and she sings a little bit the ensemble, I think, during the finale. Because we're basically yeah. at the end of the show. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're just, like... Like they like I know more about you in five minutes than I know about some people in two and a half hours of a show that I see. Like and Leah Salonga is just oh I love her. I could watch her all day. I think she's so talented. But I love that's her. writing a super solid role. That's writing yeah. a character and saying, We need the mom to come in. We need Conrad's mom to come in here and just have this moment of I hate you. Amelda and what you did to my son, who you once loved. Right. That's another fascinating thing. And it's done so uh, – it's just so done so poignantly. You you understand all these relationships with – like we were given just enough material. I'm not leaving there saying, I wish I had more songs or scenes. And I'm not leaving there saying, oh my god, too many songs or scenes. How many times, Jeff, have we sat here and we've said, the dad song, ugh, <laughs> the mom song, ugh, come on, can we write – didn't this feel is a time where I'm not saying, oh, the mom song. Oh, this time I'm saying the mom song. Oh my God, that was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, oh and, my and, God. Like, and Leah just stealing a moment. And I know she's know. only in it for a few weeks. She's only opening the show, and someone else will take over in a couple weeks, but I'm really glad we got to see her. Um, do that. And, and speaking of the music, I, I know we just can't forget the score and lyrics. So, Jeff, you being the music guy, you know, and, the, and this being a pop. Kind of Who, disco, me? yeah, you. <laughs> Who me? <laughs> What's your what is your take on this music score by David Byrne and Fatboy Slim and the Broadway audience perceiving it? Um, first of all, I think it's amazing because I also love David Byrne and I saw American Utopia and I love Talking Heads. So shout out there. Uh, but I also am a big Fatboy Slim fan. You know that was something towards the end of the '90s, early 2000s that I loved Fatboy Slim and his kind of. <clears throat> EDM electronic sound that he was bringing into the scene after we were leaving like that grunge rock era and it just putting both of those two collaborators because also David Byrne comes more from like that 80s time of okay same sound meshing them together electronic dance music great now let's put it here in this kind of karaoke style which is such so big in the philippines to these lyrics that just have so much meaning i mean i look at this score and i'm gonna say this potentially can win everything i mean i don't know there's a lot of competition coming this year yeah it's a big show it just 
worked. It's such a cohesive storytelling to sing this through, use this music, and tell the story. I just, I loved it. I really loved it. I loved it, too. Here's what I will say, though. It is a little disheartening, it's just my opinion, Mm -hmm. to have seen the major, major battles that these music writers had to put the unions through, insisting that this music needed to be karaoke click-tracked. I understand the karaoke aspect of this. I get it, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't – I listened to that live orchestra play that, and I said – Thank God live musicians were hired to do this. I don't understand why that was so difficult for weeks we were reading it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was thinking twice about seeing this if it was going yeah. to move forward with, against the union. And it, no, it was it going to, to have the It needed it, to have the live music. It needed to have the live and, music. You know, and, I, and it works. It, I don't understand right. why. I hope they're not sitting there disappointed because it works. Like, it totally works. No, I works. think they're probably fine. They probably were trying to cut a corner of paying people. But this is, like, yeah. it was super important. And it's also a lesson for everyone. Like, no, we can't have computers do everything. Right. We need to keep live music in the Broadway Every space. Broadway musical show you see, the unions employ live musicians to see if that's what a Broadway show is, you know, so. Right. And um, I just think it makes it so much better. And now that we're over that hump, you know, this show should really be appreciated for everything that it is because, you know, an all Filipino cast too. It's yes, just, the first time an all Filipino cast on Broadway, the whole cast. Amazing. Right. Like so amazing. amazing. And so many Broadway debuts. I mean, I love seeing this more and more on Broadway is like, oh, Broadway debut, Broadway debut. Like, yes, let's keep changing what's happening on Broadway. It just is it's working so well. Totally. You know? And um, what do you want to talk about some of your favorite songs on the show? Do you have any favorite songs that you oh, want to I, mention or do I a little do. shout out I to? I do. I do. Uh, we did. Did we mention the scenic design though earlier? Oh, yes. David Corns. Yeah. David I mean, Corns. Shout because out to him. It's brilliant. And right. I also need to look at this from when it was off Broadway to now to just see like what were what changed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but yes, favorite songs. I mean, I love "Here Lies Love." I do too. It's so catchy. I love <laughs> it's, it. It's so catchy. It's a bop. I love Eleven Days into mm-hmm. when she passed by." Mm-hmm. It's so catchy. It's such a story moment, you know. And then, um, just ask flowers, Leah Salonga. Oh. Oh my god! I was tearing up. I was like, "This is so good," and I'm also I, I had so. those as well. And I also put down "Sugar Time Baby" because that Hawaiian <laughs> tropical. See, to me, I always think in a musical you need that light, silly, just fun five minutes, and that's what that does. Because it's heavy at times. The show, but and I think that's what that song is supposed to do. Right, right, right. You, that song is supposed to show like how fast they got together, how fast they got married, how fast she forgot her life before, and how fast she's living the fabulous life mm-hmm. of now. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, totally, totally needed. So we're getting ready to give some overall thoughts, and just give us a little quick wrap up here, Jeff. What are your overall thoughts? Who is this show for? Concluding thoughts. Go. Okay, I love immersive theater on Broadway. I think it's the future of Broadway. I don't care what other people say and like keeping the traditional, we all need to be sitting down in a seat. No, I'm all for immersive on Broadway. It's so needed. There's so many theaters that this could be happening in. And we can also have traditional Broadway at the same time, but there's such a lesson to be learned from this show. If you're not seeing the message or lesson, go back and dig deeper into this because it's telling a story. It's telling a story about political power being in power. And then also a country that, takes it back 
And I feel like that's such a moment that so many people are experiencing today, too, even in our own country, where we're like, look, listen to some of these people. They're not speaking for us. They're taking from us. They're doing terrible things to us. And I think that's more of a message behind this show, too. Look at what these people did and look at what we're going to do now. We're going to take it back. Okay, it's so good. It's actually and the show's for everyone. If you can't really stand, don't do this. uh, Don't be on the floor. But if you can, I highly recommend it. Totally agree with everything you just said. It's a story to be told in that way. Immersive theater below. I said this is the future of Broadway. It is. This is definitely the future of Broadway. I do, Mm -hmm. of course, love a traditional proscenium seated show too. Who doesn't? Like you want to sit comfortably in and watch a show. But this needs to be more of the mainstream. Of course it happens off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway, but bring it to the mainstream. And And and, and bravo to Alex Timbers because I think he's pushing boundaries in the show. He's pushed boundaries with Moulin Rouge. He's pushed boundaries with Beetlejuice. He was supposed to push boundaries with Frozen, but that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I kind of wonder... If he went with a more of approach like this for Moulin Rouge, would it have elevated Moulin Rouge even higher? Like mm. if we were even more immersed into a cabaret style, you know, take out some more seats and put more, have more moments happening off of the stage, which it should have. Well, but- and we know that cabaret that's coming, which even the last revival was immersive. I think this upcoming cabaret is supposed to be very immersive. Yeah, so you let's know. see what happens. But, yeah. you know, and is Alex Timbers the only one doing this? I mean, we talked about K-pop earlier um, right. last year that also had this same kind of style, um, immersive off-Broadway experience that was highly praised by people, but they couldn't translate it to mm-hmm. the Broadway stage. And it probably needed something like this treatment to yeah. really shine, you yeah. know? So, And one more thing I'll say is the people power revolution – it's an important story to tell. Mm-hmm. Those people's voices are heard in something like this to tell this to the masses in a mainstream format. Uh, and always and what a way to end the to show tell. with that. The words that they were singing after they took it back. Mm-hmm. I was like, I did, if you notice at the end, if you notice that it was all like white fluorescent lighting, yeah. all the projections went off. You were just watching people stand and sing. And that's all it came to be at the end. I loved yeah. that. I loved it. It was loved so that. great. So, yeah. It's so. very nice. Oh my gosh, we're flying by. We're almost out of time here. Uh, wow. Well, that does wrap wow. up our discussion for this week's episode. And we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into Here Lies Love. And don't forget, we want to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us on Instagram and TikTok at Half Hour Podcast. And let us know your thoughts on Here Lies Love and any other Broadway shows you would like to discuss. And so many you- are coming. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And if you enjoyed our show, do leave us a review. Your feedback helps us bring more Broadway to you. Remember, you can listen to our past episodes and stay tuned for our upcoming ones as well. Mm-hmm. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.